Pronounce internal monologue. In this episode, we're going to be discussing the Babylon 5 season 5 episode, The Paragon of Animals, uh, which of itself is a quote from Hamlet, which actually is directly quoted again by Byron in this uh, episode, but we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, this episode is really about uh, sort of showing the ISA struggling that it is not perfect, that, uh, the internal strife within the, the, you know, the, the members that not everything is going perfectly, that this is a new idea of working together and collaborating and it's going to take time to really set in. And some of those, that dirty laundry that each, you know, government has, has to be aired out and everybody has to come to terms with it. And it's going to be a very difficult process. At the same time, it's also getting Garibaldi into the, into a new position, um, and uh, and also following Byron in the whole entire telepaths ordeal and getting Lita in a position for the coming arc. Um, so the the entire you know, main plot that sort of everything revolves around, uh, is the, is the situation with the Infili, uh, that they are being attacked by, uh, you know, uh, raiders, and, uh, a ranger was hurt trying to help them, and, you know, it's happening in the Drazi border space, so, uh, the ISA has to respond, uh, and everything is kind of in a situation where the ISA, has to come down on something. If it does not show it's willing to fight back, then it shows it's weak and therefore uh, will crumble and fall easily. And therefore, they will meet much resistance from other members and outside members, you know, out outsiders, and thus it will, you know, slowly break apart. If they show too much force, they look like a power grab in a authoritative government, and therefore members will start pulling out. So they have to balance uh, the situation along with the moral necessity to help. You know, uh, it's it's not an easy choice that this situation, and uh, it 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 comes down to how do you want to look, basically. Um, and then of course, you know, the big reveal is that the Drazi are all behind it, uh, that they have been paying, uh, the, you know, the, the, they have been basically compensating the Raiders for doing this in exchange for a cut so that it doesn't look like it all falls on them, that, I mean, but they benefit from it. And that, and that's the thing is that, um, this, this kind of situation is, normal you 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 have you have a weird situation where basically space un has been founded uh and you have multiple members and some members uh believe that they are above what the the new regulations say uh should they should be answerable to that they're allowed to dictate but not uh, but should not be liable basically uh and, and that's what the case you have with the drazi and it's very it's very reminiscent to uh, a lot of stuff nowadays the soviet union was very similar the united states was similar of basically deciding that other other nations must hold to this letter of the law in humanity but we ourselves are not accountable to this because we are above the law
It's a ridiculous notion and is really the ultimate uh, sort of embodiment of the selfishness that politics can uh, sort of brew in, in a nation is that, you know, everyone else can be held accountable, but we cannot because we are above them. Nationalism and all that. Uh, and... D uh, and, and I like D uh, Delin's idea comes from uh, Ducat, the saying you know that uh, terror can sometimes be a useful tool. Um, it basically all feeds into Garibaldi's thought process as well. Is ultimately what Delin is saying here is the big stick policy, uh, and Garibaldi is pretty much using the big stick policy throughout the entirety of the episode. Uh, uh, he even says, "I'm not big on guns, but if I, uh, but if everybody has has them, I want the biggest and meanest of them." You know, the big stick policy is really like it, it's flag waving. It's it, it's thumping one's chest and saying, "You really want to come after me? I I can hold my own. I can beat the living shit out of you if you if you want to come after me. So don't you dare." Um, it's it's a sometimes reliable and sometimes not reliable negotiation tactic but it does exist for a reason and uh Delin is right uh, terror can be a very useful tool when needed uh and when you have an entire fleet of some of the most advanced warships in the galaxy well it's not too hard to you know use that to your advantage now uh Garibaldi is um, comes to uh, you know Sheridan and the rest of the ISA and says, "Hey, you you allowed uh, a, a, some telepaths to set up a colony here. What we need is we need a uh, you know a, a situation. Uh, we, we have a situation here in which we can use them. They can. Uh, they said they wanted to earn their own way." We can use them to our advantage. Every nation uses telepaths as intel gatherers, but we don't. We need that, and the it's probably a um, necessary evil, and it's probably something that was inevitable. But using the telepaths, uh, ones that uh, Sheridan gave special permission to set up a colony up here, knowing that they are being chased by the psych or knowing that they are being ostracized. It's kind of on an iffy moral ground to begin with, and it gets even more iffy when you look into how they are actively being victimized and oppressed, and you are using them to gain yourself an advantage, but not them. And it, 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 it veers into iffy territory, and this is something that, uh, Sheridan recognizes, but also understands the necessity of trying to do that and and ultimately the telepath thing is all uh, you know mad mutually assured destruction everybody uses them we gotta use them too otherwise we're fucked you know uh and when garibaldi goes to byron uh it's it's a wonderful scene because garibaldi is being very garibaldi you know he has no patience for these people who refuse to talk that are just telepathically beyond him and then Byron comes in and he tears Garibaldi down and you can tell in the look on Garibaldi's face of well fuck you too fuck you very much you know because Byron in that entire tirade he has against Garibaldi 
perfectly encapsulates who Garibaldi is, but also shows the pompous arrogance that Byron has. Uh, he, basically, he has slipped fully into, I'm a victim, everybody wants something out of me, and no one, no one ever cares what I think, so therefore I have the right to kick everyone down because it's a defensive action. The real answer is no, you, you just look like a complete asshole for doing that. But it's hard not to understand why he does it. That, that sort of mentality breeds that behavior, and that behavior is a completely understandable one in one's circumstance of, you know, in that situation. However, it is a dickish move. There is no if, ands, or buts about it. And in in, ultimately, is the problem is he proves himself to be a complete and utter ass. Uh, but he does tear down Garibaldi, you know, uh, he, he talks about how Garibaldi's existence must be incredibly paranoid, incredibly lonely, of, you know, you, you're the kind of person who plans everything, you, you, you figure out what the other person's going to say, what you're going to say in response, and over and over and over again, until you have it perfect. Uh, and he just shreds Garibaldi, and, and, and then he goes on this tirade of, well... Uh, it's not like I had to invase your privacy because Garibaldi brings that up. Was, you were broadcasting it for everyone to hear. We have to put up blocks to prevent ourselves from hearing the stray thoughts of you mundanes. But here, where we're free not to do such a thing, we don't. And therefore, you guys are just inviting us to listen. <laughs> that is a gross misunderstanding of the situation. Yes, you were born with this talent. Yes, uh, it is a situation where the rights of others must be considered along with your rights, but you know, you, you do not have the right to invade someone's own private thoughts, no matter if you were born with that ability or not. It is your moral responsibility to not do that. And if you think putting up barriers to prevent yourself from, you know, actively uh, reading someone is a wrong thing, well, then, you know, sure, on a perhaps humanitarian level, in a uh, freedom level, I can understand that. But for the rights of others, I would say that's the right thing to do. You know, th there's a reason why certain things are just not allowed to be done outside. You know, if it's like, if it's like a oh, this is a biological function. I, I'm going to get a bit crass here. Of, It's a biological function of human nature to procreate. Some people don't, uh, you know, you, you could procreate anywhere, but you could, uh, but it is against the law to, you know, have sex in the outdoors, uh, you know, in public view. It's called indecent exposure. Uh, if you don't have a partner to, uh, you know, self-fulfill, uh, yeah, masturbate in, in, in this case, guess what? That's also illegal. Yet it's a biological function of every human. This, this is a situation in which this, no matter how ostracized and how oppressed the telepaths are, and I can fully understand their right and want to be free, and I can fully get on board with that, them actively refusing to not listen to other people's thoughts is an inherent invasion of one's own personal privacy, but a natural overuse of their personal powers. And shows just how far gone a lot of these telepaths are from understanding quote-unquote mundanes. And this comes in later when Byron says, no, I'm not human, I'm better.
Uh, and it, see this, this right here really shows how the the parallels between Byron and Bester are quite astronomical. And it's why I don't understand why people actively dislike Byron but actively like Bester. Is ultimately they are two people, two peas of a pod that went in alternate directions. Uh, very Jakar and Londo, the same people taking two opposite extremes. Uh, and and in that and that is what you have here is that the the clearly these two people grew up in a very similar environment uh, and and uh, experienced the same trauma and hardships and it came out of that with two different perspectives one uh, to to control and always be in control one to be free but still maintain that level of control uh, and it is. It's a very iffy situation. Like you can understand Byron's motivations perfectly, but sometimes, like here, he sometimes goes very, very, very far to the point that you question it. And I think that's JMS's point: is how easily a uh, a well-meaning, uh, you know, objective, a well-meaning movement can be taken over or distorted by those who don't understand, by those wanting, wanting a selfish resolution, or what have you. I think that is the ultimate point of Byron. And my and it, it forever feeds into that confusion I have with some people who watch B5 and just don't understand the Byron story, saying he's annoying, sure, whatever, that that's personal taste. But ultimately, what this is trying to say uh, is actually quite applicable to our real world. You know, seeing a lot of movements being taken over by uh, people and sort of distorted to uh, their ends. Uh, it, it, it's a very iffy situation, you know. Uh, and and I think the cult around Byron is starting to become more prescient. They're starting to dress more like him. Uh, a lot of the men now have incredibly long hair. They refuse to talk openly. They only talk telepathically. Byron is the only one that actively talks. Uh, and there's a lot of manipulation and uh, sort of charisma about Byron. Uh, that that scene between him and Lita where he breaks down. Because no, he, he keeps doing this. He broke down Garibaldi and then he breaks down Lita. He's really good at sort of reading into someone. He's good at cutting to the chase, getting into someone's psyche uh, and can be very charismatic about it so that you believe every word he says. You know, th that entire sit down no, I did. That was command. I, 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 did, I didn't ask you, and you just immediately did it. That thing to Lita, uh, that is a very interesting tactic. I, it, it veers in the manipulation. I understand exactly what he's going for, trying to get, uh, trying to give her the impetus to think for herself. That because of everything that's happened, from the Vorlons to uh, the the Civil War to you know the the ISA, everybody has come to her to to request something, never to ask something, and it keeps biting her back in the face, you know, from, uh, the, the you know, the Vorlons actively, you know, um, shredding every ounce of humanity she had, and destroying all her free will, to gaining that all back, to only have the Psychor swoop in and sweep her right back up again. You know, everything keeps being taken from her, and she has no choice in the matter, she's never asked she is requested and if she says no it is forced upon her 
So I understand exactly what he's trying to do here. But it veers into the manipulative because it's clear he is trying to get her onto his side because she's another telepath. If you notice, the only person Byron actively listens to this entire episode is Lita. And why? Because she is a telepath. That is a sheer, like, prejudice on his side that he does not care about anyone else. The mundanes are the mundanes. They'll do to themselves what they do to themselves. We, the telepaths, are better. Even Lita says this, you know, like, we, you know... It is inhumane what they've done to us, but we need to preserve our humanity. And he's like, and he's like, no, not human, better. And that right there really shows who Byron is in a nutshell. He is a radical who believes in the free will and the 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 want for telepaths to be free. You can get behind that, but the conditioning he has been through. Uh, very clearly a conditioning, uh, and I won't get into the spoilers, that revolves around the superior telepaths, never went away. Uh, and ultimately, that leads him to misquoting Shakespeare, which is where this episode comes from. He quotes Hamlet. You know, what a piece of work is man. Uh, and the, the hilariousness is I hear that bit from Hamlet quoted all the time. And it, and I think it fails, so sometimes people use it correctly, and then sometimes people fail to use it correctly, and I wonder if here, because Jameis is a very well-read person, uh, and uh, very intelligent, is if he was having Byron quote it ironically, having Byron not completely understand what he's saying, because in Hamlet, that entire speech is Hamlet slowly realizing the worthlessness of humanity. That humanity props itself up on a pedestal, but has nothing but a depressive history and depressive end. That it is a complete and utterly worthless piece of art. That humanity is nothing. And that sort of is part of the arc of Hamlet. Uh, so it's said with satire of what a piece of work is man. And Byron says this to contrast how humanity thinks of themselves versus how humanity treats minorities, such as telepaths. And I don't think he fully realizes the the hypocrisy of that because that entire tirade in Hamlet is about how horrible humanity actually is, despite how it props itself up. So, you know, give and take. Um... But it is an interesting parallel if it was used correctly. If it's meant to be Byron misquoting, misunderstanding the intent, sure. If it's Byron attempting to say this is what humanity really is, but they don't want to acknowledge it, that's fine. But if he's holding it up and saying this is humanity as it thinks of itself and humanity how it really is, that's a parallel that doesn't exist because that, that entire tirade is satirical about how humanity props itself up. Uh, and Lita's entire side of this uh, episode um, is very interesting. She's inside the mind of a ranger who dies. And imagine what that kind of does to someone. Uh, being inside someone's head as they pass away. Like, all not just being able to see the light go out of their eyes, which is what some people describe when they watch someone pass, but also to be able to see, you know, feel 
all the emotion, all the anguish, all the pain, have that shared, and then watch it as they come to accept their death and pass on from this world into the next, wherever that might be. Um, it very clearly, as Lita said, really was a chilling experience for her, and she's only done it twice. And there's an interesting sentiment how uh, there's a rumor around that Bester takes all the Death Watch ones, that he always does this. And I think that's an interesting look. Whether that's confirmed or not is another thing entirely, because ultimately that is a rumor around Psychor itself. But think about who Bester is. Bester ultimately is someone completely detached from everyone else. He only thinks about me and mine. He only thinks about himself being superior so that that sort of detached perspective from everyone else would leave lead to a natural and very morbid curiosity and perhaps a little bit of pleasure of seeing what the world is like from a mundane perspective as well as from a death perspective uh and and when garibaldi comes to lita you can completely understand why in that situation she is just so tired of being asked that she wasn't asked to go into the mind of the ranger she was told to go into the mind of the ranger and then it fucked her up you know she and she goes on this tirade about how she's only done this once before and it fucked her up then and it fucked her up now and well uh you know now garibaldi's coming to her with another request and she just won't have it and i like how garibaldi says you know uh, i don't think the isa is gonna work but sheridan does and delin does and i'm doing this for them and it's all about personal connection of, you know, uh, Byron doesn't want to give the information to Garibaldi because he has no attachment to Garibaldi, but he's willing to give it to Lita because he has an attachment to her. And Lita doesn't want to initially do anything until Garibaldi, who she has an attachment to because he helped her out, is willing to go to Byron to ask. Uh, so it, it, it's all about personal connection, the, 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 the macro on the micro scale. How everybody, ultimately, being a human being, is naturally a selfish individual. The Declaration of uh, Principles is a really nice scene. It's really well uh, narrated by Andres Consulis, uh, who plays Jagar, obviously. Uh, and it's very well written, and it's a speech that I always remember. You know, we are one. And it's, so it's something that really digs deep into what Babylon 5 is as a whole, is... We are different. We all have our problems and our issues that we must sort out. But at the end of the day, we are one. Or to put it into another perspective, a perspective we have heard since season one, where the universe may manifest, trying to figure itself out. Uh, and I think that is a perfect message for B5 to have because it is ultimately what B5 is about. Despite our differences, we can come together and be one. Uh, this is an interesting episode because uh, it, it's really furthering every plot thread and showing how the ISA is struggling to come together, and I'm surprised that Drazi did not get more of a consequence than they did. They, they pretty much got a slap on the wrist, but perhaps it's understandable for such a young nation. Uh, so we'll see how all this develops. I also like that little jab at, uh, at JMS's expense as well as everyone else who's a writer of writers. They are a sensitive bunch, aren't they? Ha ha ha. Uh, but anyway, a pretty decent episode. Uh, and really because of the tooth of how Byron is a very complicated individual. 
um, his cause is worthy, but the way he goes about it may be a bit too extreme, uh, or maybe more diluted and polluted by uh, his own personal biases to really reach its true just cause. We shall see how that goes about it. Till then, see ya. Bye. <laughs>